What's up? It's Tom from Cannabis Legalization News. Today, we sit down with Carlos Martinez from Legal Solutions of New Mexico to discuss the Land of Enchantment's new cannabis bill. But before we find out how much it costs to open a dispensary in New Mexico or what the deadline is for the application, like this video and click subscribe to our channel because it really helps us grow. Don't forget to drop us a comment with your question about New Mexico cannabis laws. And you definitely want to hit that bell because that's when you'll get notified when we go live on Cannabis Legalization News. Thank you so hey. much for joining us. It's another episode of Cannabis Legalization News. My name's Tom. Miggy, this is the uh, New Mexico episode. Yeah, it's a New Mexico episode. If you want to get a license in New Mexico, you've probably called me at CannabisIndustryLawyer.com before. Fielding a lot of calls from there, but if you are trying to get a license, smash some likes and click subscribe because we're going to have a lot of information about how you can go about doing your application. It is not a uh, limited market. It's not like uh, Seattle. It's not like Chicago. It is open, rolling. It seems more like Michigan, but I bet our guest is going to let us know if it's substantially similar to Michigan or if it's slightly different because it sounds like anybody can get a license that has a complete application and that qualifies for a license in New Mexico. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this. What up, Carlos? Good morning, gentlemen. Miggy, Tom, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, uh, Carlos Martinez. I'm a cannabis law attorney here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, work with Legal Solutions of New Mexico. Uh, I've been practicing cannabis law since 2010. Um, my firm and my partner, Mackenzie St. Dennis, we started in 2017. Um, we deal with uh, license preparation, applications, um, license reviews, business formation, uh, a lot of the transactional stuff, and as well as uh, trial work. We're litigation attorneys, so if for some reason you find yourself in court, uh, we're, we're ready to go to court, I guess. Uh, man, that happens so often because there's partners, and there's money, and there's contracts, and then there's SPVs, and then so many things that can go wrong. So uh, it's fascinating uh, work, the formation of the corporations, the operation, and then uh, when they go wrong, you can sue for them. Carlos, how, how have you been in business from 2010 when New Mexico just legalized it? So New Mexico just legalized recreational, uh, the cannabis program here in 2021. Uh, 2010 was the first year they put out the rules for the medical programs. Um, and then those were subsequently revised in 2015. So um, we've been dealing in the medical side uh, for the last 10 years. Uh, and now since June, I've been getting into the recreational side of things. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I've been reviewing the regulations that are there and the online portal. Tell us a little bit about how you go about applying for a cannabis license in the state of New Mexico. So uh, you could do a couple of different ways. Um, some people come in with a plan. Uh, others who are less prepared do not come in with a plan. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they've made it very simple. Uh, you open a, a portal, uh, you go in there, you provide the information that is required uh, for their license application. Um, it is substantially less than what the rules and regulations require to have uh, for a completed application. Uh, but nonetheless, you go ahead, you submit your documentation. Um, once the New Mexico Regulation and Licensing Department determines that it's a complete application, they review it. Um, they have 90 days to get back to you. Um, and if they are requiring any additional information, they'll, they'll let you know about that as well. And then do you have to do the actual complete application or is that all wrapped in? Is it more of a conditional style application like in other states? 
Uh, so since this is brand new, um, people have, I've heard stories that they're turning them around within five to 10 days. Now what turning them around means, I don't know if they're outright granting them or if they are saying you need additional information, but, uh, to my understanding uh, of the policies and procedures, once you get that license, you're ready to operate, you're ready to go. Um, there's a lot of intangibles, obviously that, that kind of hold this back. Uh, a lot of the zoning hasn't really caught up with everything. Um, so we have that issue going around with each jurisdiction that uh, you're applying in. Um, and then just basically, I mean, it's brand new for everybody. Uh, it's brand new for all the local jurisdictions. It's brand new for, you know, law enforcement. Um, everybody's going to have to understand and, and implement these rules who were written, not necessarily by cannabis law attorneys, but, uh, you know, legislatures and other, other interests. All right. So Carlos, you're telling me at this moment in time, I could like do a screenshot, go to the New Mexico website, if I had two thousand dollars to to apply for and get a, a, a registration right now, get a license right now, uh, you can get a, an application completed. Yes, they they have a time to review it. So within ninety days is when they say that they will get back to you. But within those ninety days, uh, yeah, you can get a license. You can begin operations, start growing. Um, recreational sales aren't anticipated to start until April of next year. Um, but right now, producer cannabis producer licenses and cannabis producer micro business licenses are up and up and running. So they don't require the uh, the board's oversight. They don't have to inspect your facility and come in and say you you comply with all the strictures of the regulations from New Mexico. Now you have uh, an operational license. So the way that it operated on the medical side of things, they absolutely had to go and do a review and a walkthrough. Um, it is not detailed necessarily in these particular rules, um, which came out. So although it's, it's silent, uh, it, it is a very good idea that they're going to come out there and, and take a look. Um, you have to you know, secure fire inspections and certificates of occupancy. So you're already having a couple of walkthroughs anyway. But um, the RLD is kind of making this up as they go along. It's, it's been an interesting an interesting ride. Um, they were supposed to have a cannabis regulatory advisory committee already put together to help with these first two license applications. And, and uh, that was put together after the two applications came out. So it's kind of mystical as to who's drafting up the rules right now. Uh, nobody really knows. Uh, they're supposed to be, you know, assisted with the, with the CRAC committee, but um, kind of, we're just, we're just going by what they throw out at this time. What is included in an application? Because I've charged uh, clients in other more competitive states a pretty, well, not a pretty penny, a price that was commensurate with the market uh, for completing their application. What, uh, how, how thick is the New Mexico application? Because I've done them before. They're hundreds of pages long. Sure. Uh, and, and I, so the application portal uh, requests substantially less uh, documentation than what's in the rules, right? So mm -hmm. along with identifying, you know, your, your building, you know, your, where your outdoor grow, wherever you're going to grow, um, you know, you have to run your background checks. You have to have standard operating procedures drafted for, you know, wastage and disposal, disposal of cannabis. Um, you have to provide your, your, uh, a schematic uh, drawn to scale of your operation, um, there's some interesting requirements this year, uh, on the recreational side of things. You have to have a water right, uh, or proof that you have the right to develop a water right or, uh, documentation from a water provider stating, you know, that number one, you're within our rules that you can use the water and the amount of water that you're using is going to be sufficient for the size of the grow that you're operating. Um, that's required. Um, there's an additional, uh, economic and social equity piece. Uh, and diversity piece that wasn't required on the medical side of things. 
Um, but there's a lot of other drafting and a lot of that drafting, you know, can take place with the business owners themselves, you know, their standard operating procedures and policies, or, you know, they can farm that out to, to us or any other you know, capable cannabis law attorney. So um, it's kind of hard. But then that, that, it just, because it's so wide open, it's like, well, why are they even requiring these? Are they even going to look at them? It's a good question. That's a good question that a lot of people have had and, and they're wondering the same thing. Um, we, you know, we go on the, you know, the side of security and say, yeah, absolutely. They have every right to go and check to make sure you have your policies and procedures that are in accordance with the rules and regs. Because otherwise, if you don't, then you're going to get deemed, you know, and you're going to get fined and then, you know, possibly have your license suspended or revoked. So, um, but it does not require anything on the portal, to my knowledge, that you have to have all of this submitted. You have to have it according to the rules, but you don't have to have it on the portal. That may be what gets kicked back after the 90 days. You're like, okay, you've been pre-qualified. Now please submit all these things. And then if they don't get back to them within 90 days. Maybe they drop them off and be like, you have to start, start over. Sure. And they, and they will drop a, an application if, if it's non-responsive in, in regards to additional details or, you know, whatever they're requiring from the applicant. Do you think it's safe to say too, like, I mean, I know I make it sound real easy that like, I can just like create the portal now. I mean, first off, you have to have, funds right like like in any business endeavor you got to have a little bit of liquidation to keep you going before you pick up but because like in your your position i might be able to get a license or whatever to start the application but i'm still going to need a lot of localized process and, and and procedure to be done and especially in cannabis like every state's so different uh, uh the cannabis law alone like tom does the banking he's very informed with like the the structure the infrastructure of a business you know there's a lot of requirements uh do you find that you have to meet there's a lot of new mexico like the water right thing you know there's gonna be a lot of localized stuff going on out there and you would say you probably meet that need don't you uh we like to think we do and and yes there is you know local uh need um in regards to that you know that economic uh and social equity policy i mean they, they really want to focus on you know new mexico how are you going to help new mexico how are you going to help its residents um how are you going to you know provide to to its economy um so a lot of it is localized a lot of you know the water issues out here they we have uh local water associations you know local water community associations acequias ditches uh we have a lot of that and we are you know we're a mountain desert so we don't have a lot of water so um it is very local there's a lot of local issues a lot of farmers uh who you know in the rural more agricultural areas you know they grow for they grow hay for horses you know they're they're going to be affected uh if people are trying to get land out there and get on on their water rights so uh there is a lot of local flavor that needs to be put into the application and we think that you know we provide that service are there any areas in new mexico that have sufficient rainwater that we could maybe like create our own uh water supply or is it just straight desert over there it's straight desert over here um there's uh we're, we've been in a drought for as long as I've been alive. So I don't, I've never, never really seen us come out of it, but um, you know, a good, a good year on rain, you're, you're, you're talking about maybe less than six inches, uh, at least in Albuquerque. I think we're at four and a half right now and we're just we got, going through our monsoons. Really? We got six inches of rain in 24 hours over where I live. I mean, like it's just wet and wild <laughs> out there, but that's, that's, we don't have any water rights stuff, but our regulations relative to everything else are completely cockamamie. Like, you know, it's a, a, an oligopoly almost, and you can't get a license unless you thread a needle that's really, really difficult to approach. Um, so they aren't going to go with that in New Mexico. Uh, how many people do you anticipate getting a license? 
Uh, getting a license is a, that's a good question. Um, I know there was an article recently that within the first week of if it being open, over 900 people, um, 900 plus had already applied. So um, of those 900, how many were complete applications? You know, I, I would be willing to bet it was a fraction of those. Um, and then, you know, within that, um, a lot of the, you know, already established players from the medical side of things, I'm, I'm sure, you know, had the insight on that. So um, I don't know how many they're going to give out. There's no cap uh, on the licenses. There's nothing in the in the rules, in the statute, uh, in the bill. Um, it's going to be interesting if, if one gets developed along the way with the, you know, the Cannabis Regulatory Advisory Committee, which is also comprised of all non-cannabis experts besides one um, past producer. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with those licenses. But I mean, as long as, you know, you have a complete application and, and your infrastructure is ready to go, you're, you're pretty much going to get green lighted. Are the, uh, the fees that are being applied to the portal, are they refundable or... Or is the state just racking it in right now? So, the state—I haven't seen anything that says that they are refundable on the medical I, side. I recall things, something that said that they weren't. But I don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm in as many as the state comes up. It's like read the rules, read the regs, and like with New Mexico, I'm like, well, this will be really interesting. It looks like it's going to be pretty open, and then the downside of that, when it is so open, I'm really worried about all these uh, operators that are going to get going in New Mexico and get the their ass is handed to them when the IRS audits because they didn't set it. They didn't pay me. They were like, I don't need to pay this guy. And then yeah. I know what I'm doing. I'm an American. I'm an entrepreneur. And they, they have no idea how 280E works. And so they just get knocked out of business in three years because they owe like $400,000 in unpaid taxes. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny as you mentioned that because uh, one of the 36 uh, medical licenses, uh, to my understanding, one of them got terminated because of tax issues. Uh, pretty, I'm pretty sure it was specific to 280E. But wow, um, maybe in, in terms of, I, I don't think they're they're refundable. The medical side of things were it was a ten thousand dollar fee to pre, uh, apply to be a licensed nonprofit producer. Nine thousand was refundable if you weren't accepted. So, because the only reason I ask, because it seems like, yeah, ideally it sounds really cool that there's unlimited licenses, but in the end. Like you said, like, you know the personal struggle out there as far as, like, the water alone. Like, I've lived in Tucson. I've, I've lived in the desert. I know what it's like. Like, the good old boys are going to get theirs first. And then, like, maybe an MSO might come in. You know, like, this is not going to be still uh, an easy, like, I, I, I know there's going to be a couple people, like, you're going to take their life savings out and be like, this is what I want to do. I have 500K and I can start a cannabis business in New Mexico. And then with no lawyer or no plan, you're going to go into New Mexico and, like, when I got this land, oh, what do you mean I got to do water rights? And then I got, you know, what do you mean growing weed indoors is hard. Right? <laughs> no, exactly, though. There's going to be a lot of, like, I, I think people jumping in. But at the same token, uh, because of your guys, there's actually a lack of space, if you consider thinking about the water right. Water's essential, guys. Yeah. I mean, how much, how much weight can it's like? New Mexico's got some of those areas in the desert, which would just be beautiful for a light dab greenhouses because they have a nice temperature thing. But what good is that if you ain't got no water? Right. No, that's absolutely correct. And, and I don't think that uh, anyone has necessarily taken that into account, but um, it is a very valued resource over here. So um, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting um, in regards to those issues that are, that are, I'm sure, just waiting to pop up here in the next you know, month or so. Carlos, is there a, a, like, since you have medical already and there's been a medical market already, is there a cannabis culture out there? Like, is there going to be a defining, like, who the, the recreational market needs to appeal to? You know, the, the actual consumers who are even, like, cannoisseurs, you know, like, 
people are like, uh, oh, is that a baby kush with some uh, terpenes? And, uh, you know what I mean? Like, what is the scene out there already? Uh, the scene has, has been evolving, right? So uh, it's evolved. Obviously, you have your, your reefer madness, you know, uh, <laughs> people. It's there. It's there, there. <laughs> Sometimes. It's everywhere. In, I don't in, get it. It is. You know? <sighs> In the smaller counties in the south, uh, it seems prevalent still. Um, so you still have those. Then you have some of those reefer madness people that have been converted because they do see the benefits of the medical because, you know, grandma has, you know, cancer or grandma has arthritis or they're seeing the medical benefits of that. So you have, a little, you know, some converts. Um, but it's been a general acceptance, I'd say, throughout the state. I mean, New Mexico has, it's, it's very, you know, it's very uh, diverse in, in terms of the people that live here. But... Um, you know, we have it used for ceremonial purposes, you know, recreational purposes, lots of medicinal purposes. Um, it's, it's been accepted, uh, I would, I would say as, as, you know, a community, but, you know, the regulators and the, and the licensing people and the, uh, the legislatures, they represent their counties that are not necessarily open to it. So it's been kind of a battle there. Um, recently, you know, we had uh, a failed recreational bill in 2020. Um, and then this 20, this version that got passed in the special session in 2021, I think is, is had a strong push from, you know, the governor here, she made it a priority, um, to get that through. So, uh, but I think it's, it's going to appeal to, uh, a diverse population. I mean, out of state tourists, uh, we border Mexico. So there's a lot of, you know, Mexican nationals that have come this way and have purchased inventory and then taken it back South to Mexico, which is a unique thing. Um, and then the huge border. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh the huge border with Texas. I mean, they have a really restrictive everything it seems like they these do. days. So Oh man. Um, if you guys want to open a dispo on the border of Texas and a grow, get at me at cannabisindustrylawyer.com. Uh because that would be really fun to have. And yeah. and so hey, uh let's talk a little bit about the taxes because one of the best uh things and some people are like, "Oh, don't tax it." I'm like, those tax dollars can go to pay for all these problems that we caused by this drug war. Uh, how are they spending the tax money in New Mexico? Well, they do have uh, an excise tax attached to this that uh, goes up, I believe, a point every year for about seven years. So um, as, as to what it starts at, I'm not positive, but I know that it, it increases to a point. Um, and, and that's only on the recreational sales, obviously. The medical sales do not have that. Um, where the tax is going, uh, they are theoretically being reinfused into the community to, you know, to better the community. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, backdoor operations. Uh, so where does it go? Ultimately, I, I don't know. I, I know where I want it to go. Um, and I wanted to, you know, everybody says that we have to catch up with the rest of the United States of America. You know, let's, let's reinvest in the infrastructure and, you know, education and everything big that, you know, what we need here in New Mexico to make us not necessarily last in education in every report that we read, uh, but maybe, you know, leading uh, in some in some cases in regards to reinvestment in our, into our communities. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great to see if you can figure out the water issue, but tax dollars from weed can do a lot of things. Invent water, I don't think is one of them. Uh, That's true. Well, you know, New Mexico sounds like it'd be prime, like, like, once we cross borders and you're able to federally do it, like I've been in New Mexico, it's a beautiful spot. You got that chili uh, festival once a year out there. That I mean, amazing food. Uh, but like again, lack of water, just like with Vegas, right? Like amazing spots to go vacationing. But 
you know, Oregon had in, in Washington, we have way too much weed. Uh, you know, there's a, there, there could be fundamental things that could benefit each other until that day. But uh, I, I really appreciate that you mentioned the fact that, uh, uh, you know, you have reefer madness there, but also the, the spirituality, how people recognize the use of it. Because it, correct me if I'm wrong, New Mexico has a large reservation population, right? Like in the, in the desert areas, I had a friend uh, down in Tucson or in the northern, his family was up there. And I'm not sure what res that was, but, you know, I always just thought it was funny how uh alcohol has, was made and destroyed reservation you know native communities and and cannabis is this thing that a study just came out for college kids saying less drinking is being done because there's more smoking being done you know cannabis use is always a wellness thing and a spirituality thing as far as like uh it's the less evil of recreational do you think that's picking up there as well or is it just more like no government say bad we you bad I, I think it's becoming uh, absolutely more tolerated for sure. Um, and then in addition to, you know, the more spiritual use of it, um, it helps a lot of the population that are suffering with opioid abuse. Um, and they're having, a you know, a lot of successes in, in being able to wean themselves off of, you know, the, the drugs that could actually kill you. Right. So um, it's being accepted more so on, on the medical scale. Uh, a lot of, you know, practitioners are recognizing the benefits, not just, you know, medical doctors, but um, you know, osteopathy, you know, you have your optometrists, you know, dentists are even uh, talking about utilizing it in, in creams and toothpaste and things of that nature. So um, I, I think that a lot of people are seeing the benefits outside of uh, it's just somewhere we can go get high, we can go, you know, purchase something. I mean, there's there's actual, you know, there's methods to the madness. And, and if you use it right, you know, whether it's flour, whether it's edibles, tinctures, oils, you know, it can, it can provide substantial benefits, uh, you know, for whatever, you know, may be ailing you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the things about these open market concepts, though, uh, like I if I was going to try to get into Oklahoma, I would plan my ass off before trying to get into Oklahoma because I would need the capital. You're competing with like 10,000 other uh, license holders. And I love the business models idea where, no, we're going to be a vertical. Are you allowed to be vertical? First, I mean, I, we can be located on the border of Texas and do like a water rights study to find out where the, the best flow is. But can you even be vertical? Um, so uh, as a, on the medical side of things, you it was the only option. You, you had to be a vertically integrated. So it was seed to sale um, for the licensed nonprofit producers. And they had to be titled nonprofit just because that's what they said that you had to be as, as an owner. Um, you do definitely not get, you know, any nonprofit status with the IRS or anything. You don't get any of those no. advantages. That's for sure. But um, right now the, the two licenses that are available are, are basically for, for production and cultivation. And then uh, you can sell wholesale to other cannabis establishments. Um, the vertically integrated, uh, or excuse me, the medically, uh, the medical practitioners who are vertically integrated, their license is a legacy license and that carries over. Uh, so they're able to still continue operating under that license until the equivalent comes out, uh, which is in January. But in the January, they should have um, coming out the vertically integrated cannabis establishment license. The vice license is like I, I like to call it. Um, and that's vertically integrated, um, you know, seed to sale. And then there's the there's the same version of that, but it's a micro business license. So you're capped at 200 plants, but you still have you know the rights to do seed to sale on on that particular license as well. Wow. Oh, 420. It's 420 somewhere. 20 past nice. the hour. So.
So well, let's talk about that 200 plant thing because just doing some math on that, uh, you're able to go from you're able to go the whole plant. So you can do wholesale into retail and sell it to the end consumer. But is that 200 plants in flower or is that 200 plants in total? 200 mature plants uh, so and, and being mature is, is defined, I believe, as showing the first signs of sex. So um, once that's established, uh, it magically turns into a mature plant. So uh, it's a, it's silent as to the amount of, um, you know, vegetative or, or clone uh, that you can have on premises, which is interesting. Sure. Um, you do have to disclose that in your application as to, you know, how many you're going to have. But uh, it's silent as to a, a cap or anything. That's great. You can pheno hunt wow. then. You can pop. You can pop a hundred seeds, uh, but uh, the two hundred plants. That's still not all that much weight, even if you do it at the at the retail level. I mean, uh, it may only. I'd have to do the turn math on that. I can't do this in my head. Well, well why can't you do two hundred plants at five point seven harvest times? You know, fifty grams per square foot. And then tell me what that is in pounds in your head. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a lot more math than I was required to do. Oh my gosh, I was doing math for the Illinois dispensary lottery. Do you know what the worst uh, uh, one in a, a billion uh, uh, figure that I got from applying the simple multiplication rule? Assuming that it's like a randomized lottery, uh, you're going to have like a one over X. And so like how many... Uh, or like not necessarily one, N, let's call it. Then N means how many ping pong balls, how many lottery tickets you bought. And then over X, X would be the total amount of the entire sample. And so uh, you would multiply, because in theory, it's supposed to be a random selection. And so each one is supposed to be its own instance. So it's just simple multiplication rule. One in 22 billion. <laughs> Jeez. God. That's amazing. Going for the gold. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Carlos, you said you guys are doing a seed to sell. Does that mean your medical side has a patient registration as well? Uh, so, yes, they do. Um, and the medical side was run by the Department of Health. Uh, and that is being merged or has already been merged with the regulation and licensing department. Um, and they are going to be responsible for operating the medical uh, program uh, as well as the recreational program. So oh, wow. there, is a there is a registry you have to apply. Um, you have to qualify with one of their conditions. Um, and, and it's still operating as a separate, uh, as a separate program. Um, but the issues, you know, a lot of the issues, and I'm sure you, you both know, there's going to be, you know, a supply and demand issue coming up here very shortly. Um, the medical program has been growing, you know, every year. I think the last number I saw was over a hundred thousand patients. Um, so they are, in addition to all the recreational people are going to be, you know, gunning for limited supply, limited stock. Um, so that's going to be a, a very interesting issue on top of the water issue on top of, you know, the unlimited licenses, um, mm. that they're trying to, uh, to, to work with right now. So if you're growing some real banging stuff, uh, and that 200 plant thing, and you were able to control uh, a $6,000 a pound retail, which I think would be about 55 bucks or 50 bucks an eighth, uh, that would be about 500 pounds of high quality flour. And you probably have 250 of trim that you'd want uh, some bubble hash makers to get rid of. Uh, but that would be $3 million on the top line revenue. Uh, if everything goes perfectly and you're harvesting uh, 5.7 times a year and you're yielding um, uh, 50 grams per square foot. But $3 million on the top line revenue is fine for a business. 
it's fine. But I don't know how long it'll stay there. Like, you know, that's $6,000 a pound at the retail level. Those stuckers can slide down to 4,000 and then the $3 million just got down to two. Sure. I think it, uh, it leads to very, uh, focused, I guess, like microbreweries, uh, in yeah. his, uh, analogy, but, uh, a real focus on, on creating, you know, strains that are strain specific that do specific issues. And I think that that's, you're still going to be able to command that higher price, um, for that type of strain. Otherwise, you know, the other strains that are generally, you know, available everywhere, uh, I could see the the potential of those dropping in regards to to sale price, but um, I think it's going to create a niche market within you know the very new cannabis industry of of people that are specialized in in producing strains. And interestingly enough, there's also another license available for um, for research and development, basically for cannabis over here. Um, so that's going to be brand new, and I'm I'm thinking you know they're going to team up with with some other business entities to really go after that market and then really hold that down. So and then you're going to get new clients that want an intellectual property licensing agreement. And and I, I've seen some of these from some of the MSOs. They're like 30 pages long. And it's amazing. <laughs> and so like I've seen how cookies is moving. And it's like, oh, I, I bet they've signed one of these before. Um, so it's kind of interesting. And that's going to be what's going to definitely a result from those research based uh, micro brew it's not a micro brew, it's a micro grow based, uh, you know, uh, license types, but that's fantastic. It's one of the aspects that we're playing on our craft grow in Illinois is these, these, uh, sideways looking, uh, corporate structures because that license that has the plant touching is so hot from a tax perspective, uh, or from a legal liability perspective, like nobody that's got a gun is working for that licensed facility that at LLC, we don't need to be mixing guns and the, the license uh, transmission of weed uh, or, you know, uh, the, the usage of entities to, uh, ensure that you're not going to get totally spanked by IRC 280E. That takes time and a lawyer to set up and nobody ever wants to pay lawyers ever, unless they have money and they realize how business works. Then they're like, just pay the lawyer $400,000. It'll save us 5.2 million. You're absolutely right. And, and securing that, type of information is invaluable, especially in an in, in industry that's so brand new where there isn't, I mean, we don't have any case law. There's some cases on the medical side of things, but there's nothing out there. I mean, we're literally creating this or they are literally creating this on a daily basis. Um, I mean, for instance, they just came out with the manufacturing rules like within the last week and those aren't weren't anticipated until January 1, 2022. So um, absolutely. I mean, you can come in, make your mistakes and then pay a lawyer to fix your mistakes, which is, you know, going to cost a lot more, that's, but that's do it right. Yeah. And I love doing that one. I've done bits like that. You know, let me tell you how you can save a lot of money hiring a lawyer. You hire them now before you've created the problem and you tell them what you want to do. And then he goes, hmm, well, or she, you know, you're going to need to avoid this, this, and this. And how do I do that? Well, you can hire me. It's probably going to be about 30 to 40 hours of my time. Oh, don't you just have a form? I just have one thing that I need from you. And you've already done it before. Right. There's the door, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, you'll be back with a much worse problem in the future. You guys are you guys are a cost, just like you know, my job, I'm in maintenance, you know, it's a preventive maintenance. Like the reason why you know I'm doing my job because nothing fucking happens, right? Like nothing happens, nothing broke the next day, everything's going away, it's supposed to be. It was kind of like with lawyers. You got to set up your business plan because you have the image, you have the, the vision, 
and then you guys help create the the backbone uh you know with that uh 200 plant limit isn't that something like that can be grown in like a house you know like right like like a, a you don't think like i mean I've you wouldn't want to grow 200 plants in a house, maybe an outbuilding. Like you can have a residence adjacent to where you're growing. Right. But yeah, you, that's 800 square foot of flowering and maybe like another 500. Well, depending on how what your setup is, do you have a nursery? Do you have a breeding room? You know, how what drying room? So you, you're talking about like 1600 square feet at least. Right. And so that's like taking up the whole house. Oh yeah, no, I, I told you. I mean, the reason why I'm asking or saying that is because, like, because of the water right issue. Because New Mexico is so unique, right? If I was a landowner in New Mexico, like an old hippie, does that water right pertain to the land itself? Like, could I start doing a farm, or does are there like extra things I got to do just to get that water right? Uh, so, I mean, if you want to grow on on a homestead, you need to make sure that it's zoned properly, right, and then it's identified accordingly. But um, the space needed. Yeah, I, I believe you could. I mean, you could have your, your water rights. You know, you talk to the state engineer's office and you go through that process, which has its own, you know, unique difficulties in the fact that, you know, they may have never literally, it may have never heard of the Cannabis Regulation Act. And they're like, what are you talking about? We need documentation. Like, we've never given that out before. I don't know what you're saying. Um, but I mean, if, I, go ahead. If, I was going to say, if I was a rancher in New Mexico, I'd be hitting you guys up right now. I mean, like, because like you have the space, you have the ability, but now you need the, the person with the actual experience. The you know what I mean? Sure, and 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 some of them do reach out, and and they also come with unique circumstances. They don't know how to grow. They don't know how to farm. You know, cannabis at all. Uh, they don't necessarily know you know how to do it. Uh, they know that they farm Timothy Hay or alfalfa, and they and they're used to that, which is a little bit different than you know producing some some nice quality buds. So. Um, they often find themselves either either trying to learn it on their own um, and on usually not necessarily being very successful at that uh, or, you know, they're farming out help. They're looking to hire farmers uh, and every day, you know, at least today, it seems like every every farmer you talk to is an expert in growing and you're just like, oh, are you really an expert in growing? Or? How many runs have you done? And then they look at you like, what's a run? Exactly. So you have those unique circumstances and, and uh, you know, it, there's some people that try to do it. You know, there's some people that like, I have a farm. I want to convert it over. Let's you tell me what I need and I'll, and I'll go pay for it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then there's some that you're just like, you know, good luck, I guess, learning how to grow. I, I don't see this going well for you. I don't think that I'm going to be able to do anything for you right now. Exactly. Right. right. But that's, that's the, our deal flow at cannabisindustrylawyer.com is ridiculous. All these people are so gung ho and they really want to get in the industry, but they don't necessarily have any of the skill set. They don't have any of the knowledge. And then it's not just knowledge of the growing of the plant. It's also the knowledge of the orchestration and the operation of the cannabis industry and the business itself. Or even the culture. I mean, if, if you're not growing up using, you know, you're not growing up with, the, you know, the products, you don't know what products are out there. You don't know what you can make. You don't know you know, what products do what you don't know what terpenes are. You don't, I mean, you're, you're at a disadvantage because everybody coming in seems to be an expert, or at least they read something that makes them an expert online. So, you know, they come requesting things and, and talking about, you know, hash and oil and bubble hat. And like, what, I don't know what you're talking about. So uh, I think being part of the cultures is a huge advantage as well uh, to being a cannabis law attorney. Um, and I, and I feel like I've been part of the culture since the late 1900s, as my kids say it, you know, the nineties. Ha. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I've been part of the culture since pre-98 Baba Kush. Yeah. Oh, you must you, be old, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> do, 
Carlos, do you think, uh, uh, do you have any fear of MSOs creeping in or you think this water issue is going to be such a big thing? They're going to wait to scoop somebody up later. Um, I, th I think they're already here uh, for sure. Um, additional ones creeping in. I mean, I, probably, I mean, there's, there's, there's three, probably three producers on the non, on the medical side that are probably, you know, lead, you know, leaders in the industry at this point um, with, you know, with eyes on on basically selling in the future and getting out you know their their exit event for for liquidating their company but um do i think that they're coming in absolutely i do i think they're all going to be successful i mean it depends on who they who they deal with right you know no offense you know to, to tom but if you come in you know with an out-of-state attorney not necessarily knowing new mexico laws you're gonna you're gonna come into some unique circumstances that you're gonna need help with oh yeah um, so i think depending on who you know they team up with i think the level of success is going to vary yeah, oh, I'm yeah, more yeah. of a consultant when I'm outside of my own jurisdictions, and then I always have local counsel. So I have local counsels up and down the eastern seaboard and working on one for Virginia. Maybe one for New Mexico would be uh, quite advantageous as well, because when it when I saw the uh, the water issue and then you always need local counsel because cannabis is very localized, especially in the dual nature system of uh, a lot of the licensing rubrics like in a Michigan or in a New Jersey or in a Massachusetts. But that's a question that just comes off the top of my head then. Um, is it going to be a dual licensing state or is the state going to provide the license to the holder and then the municipality can't object? Uh, so the municipalities can, they cannot prevent the Cannabis Regulation Act from being enacted in their local jurisdictions. They can't prevent them from using the roads. They can't, I mean, they can regulate time uh place and manner restrictions and then the density of licenses but they can't prevent the cannabis regulation act from actually being operated within you know the state bounds they can't even opt out because like a lot of state that's wow. very similar to illinois where it's a top-down approach where there's the single licensing uh issuer and that is the state and the municipality really doesn't have anything to do about it but a municipality could opt out and say we aren't going to allow businesses here and then when they come in next time, they can't say, but we want three licenses like they do in Kittering, Maine, for example. They're about to have a dispo lottery there. No, they, they can't opt out uh, at all, um, but they can regulate, you know, through zoning, um, you know, time, place and manner restrictions. Yep, and but zoning, zoning and uh, water rights, all of those. But these the communities have always been very, very important in uh, the license applications that I do simply because if they don't want you there, you're screwed. And uh, having a local council involved is very, very important, especially if that local council has some zoning understanding. And then in the case of uh, uh, New Mexico, some water rights. But it's probably still uh, municipal law at a certain level if the water rights are arising from the state. Correct. And then, and, I mean, like I said, it's also, you know, getting out there, knock and talk with some of these people, you know, personally just go introduce yourself and, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I need your help. You know, I need your expertise, you know, really build them up and, and you know, you can attract more flies with honey than vinegars at the saying. So right. I like to throw a bunch of honey on and, and, and go try to go try to talk with people and see, um, because they're all learning, like I said, and I, I, I would like to influence their learning if at all possible, if I could, you know, I think I smell way too much weed. I just had a picture of somebody just licking themselves up with honey, walking into the, the, the city council <laughs> office. Like, hey, I'm here. Let's do this. Guess he's here to party. You may what? not like it, but this is what a cannabis law attorney looks like. Right. I talk to you. There you what? go. A lot of judgment in the room. I can, I can tell. <laughs> 
us what <laughs> licenses are available right now with the new law. What what can we do? What what is available? So producer uh, cannabis producer licenses are available, and then uh, cannabis producer micro business licenses. Um, the main uh, the main differences is the cap for the micro businesses. You can only have two hundred plants. Um, if you're a cannabis producer, you can go all the way up to eight thousand plants, um, depending on what tier you start in. So uh, a lot more production. Um, and then in addition to that, the producer applicate or the producer license has a per plant fee attached to it. So if you're selling recreational, it's $10 per plant. Um, and then if you're going for the medical, it's $5 per plant on top of the, the yearly uh, licensing fee. And then that licensing fee, it's $2,500 for the license for the cannabis producer, um, plus $1,000 for each additional license premises. And then for the micro producer, um, if you go, if you cap yourself at 100, it costs $500. Uh, and then if you grow the full 200, you're, you're at a thousand. Can you um, co-locate? So can I have my uh, cultivation in the same facility that I have my processing? Yes, you can definitely have uh, those particular, uh, uh, what is it? Those, those functions, I guess, of the seed to sale in the same place. You can have multiple licenses in one uh, premises. Yeah. Uh, one mm-hmm. owner can have multiple licenses as well. So um Yep. Yes. And for tax purposes and also for insulation of risk purposes, uh, you should consider having all of those in their own separate LLCs. Uh, the ownership on the back end can be very much overlapping, don't get me wrong, and contracts between them, but uh, mitigate the risk and isolate the the license itself. I would agree with that wholeheartedly, yes, absolutely. What is like so far now, uh, I mean, your market rolls out next year, right, for recreational? Uh, for sales, yeah, in uh, April of 2022 is, is the the deadline. What's it look like so far for startup costs for everybody getting to either a, a, a processor or even a dispensary itself? Uh, startup costs on the medical side of things were substantial. Uh, essentially, you have to have all the infrastructure you know ready to go for for review. Um, I mean, startup costs. It also really depends on what your your operation is, right? So, I mean, depends on what you what you're trying to do. Um, whether you're going to be a grower, cultivator, uh, cannabis consumption area, which is which is new, which will be interesting. Um, oh, that is just nice. Is, is that its own limit? Is that its own license type? The cannabis consumption area? It's its own license type. Yeah, twenty five hundred dollars uh, is the cost on that. Um, and interestingly enough, they have a provision for cannabis consumption um, on the medical side of things. But to my knowledge, there hasn't been any on on site cannabis consumption that I'm aware of so far. Uh, but I think that's that's a huge you know business opportunity that you know uh, presents itself, especially you know for people that you go somewhere kind of like a lounge type setting and you want to consume on premises. You know that's it's, I think that's where everything's going. So yeah. um, I, I yeah, am uh, like if I was advising clients in your jurisdiction, it was local there. I'd be pushing them um, if they're going to go to dispo. You absolutely want to go for a crap a, a lounge as well because you're not allowed to deduct a lot of that cost when you have a dispo. Like maybe you can allocate your inventory manager, maybe, and say that that's COGS. And then it's all the costs of your weed and that's it. And so uh, if you have, uh, uh, and this is when it gets weird, if you have an SPV and that SPV is holding your um, uh, real estate for your consumption lounge and you can operate that, and then uh, run it like it's just a regular business. And so you have all your brand and IP rights and contracts inside that SPV. 
and then they'd be paying, you know, uh, rent or something like that. It's just, it gets ridiculously complex. And the whole point is because you can't deduct anything. You can't deduct your, your branding. You can't deduct uh, your employees. You can't, uh, uh, so if you were a cultivator and you wanted to have a genetics uh, component, that sounds more like trafficking than COGS. But we'd have to talk with a very good accountant to see if we can classify genetics as uh, COGS or if that would be a trafficking expense. And if you can find an accountant that uh, doubles as a tax attorney and he's got, an, you know, like an LLM or something and it's been in the cannabis space, you know, pay them, pay them for whatever they're charging because they have very invaluable information. Um, and, you, you know, that 280 is, is a huge, huge disadvantage. Um, they'll help you work around it to the best of their abilities and to minimize, you know, that as, as best they can. I thought we could like set up a business like off of Greece. Isn't that where most of the Panama paper people were at? Like, uh, in one of no, the, I'd be putting them into the Cook Islands. And so like, we'd, <laughs> yeah, saying, be a, um, this very interesting related entity, uh, uh, that's organized in the Cook Islands. And that is a subsidiary of one of these license holders. And then you run everything through that because you, you only have jurisdiction uh, to sue a Cook Islands uh, company if you go to the Cook Islands, which is just, what are you going to do? How are you going to enforce that contract? Well, and then there's an LLC protections in Puerto Rico too, I think. I mean, again, I'm a guy who's that's not that's in business. Tax. That's income tax. And so people move to Puerto Rico to not pay federal income tax. There we go. But what, uh, so you were talking about social equity earlier, Carlos. What, uh, what is the play? What, what What's going to happen later on? Uh, with the social, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, hopefully, you know, the plan is, is to, to build up New Mexico and, and it's, it's communities. Um, I, I listened to your guys' uh, show in regards to, you know, um, I think it was actually when they were taking the vote on the bill, uh, but they had a separate piece, uh, an expungement piece of the bill. So um, I don't know if you all got a chance to read that, but uh, it does it does address any sort of you know past cannabis convictions and any sort of uh, issues that are basically expunged after you know the enactment of the Cannabis Regulation Act. So um, that's good. That's a good start. Um, the the request um, in the actual you know application itself. It, I mean, they they want a lot of diversity, a lot of New Mexico diversity in the applicants in the applications. Um, you know. Uh, employing New Mexicans, you know, um, any, any gender, any age, you know, any race, they're open to everything. Uh, people that have been passed, uh, you know, been, been prosecuted on, on cannabis issues. I mean, hopefully it, it leads to more of an acceptance of the industry itself, uh, more of an understanding of people that have been, you know, uh, wrongfully convicted and or prosecuted over, you know, possessing, you know, less than an ounce or possessing a joint, um, giving, giving, some more perspective, I guess, um, as to this isn't as bad as, as you think, you know, you got Joe Blow coming in who, who got high a little earlier, but then you have this other person that's on opioids all day and is you know, passing out. Like this is a big deal. Um, so hopefully it, it leads to more acceptance, more, uh, participation throughout the state, not just, you know, non-reservations, but there are a lot of res reservations over here. Um, there are a lot of low income, you know, communities, hopefully they can participate in that and, and be able to, you know, supply and, and feed, help feed their economies. Do you think like once you guys are no longer last in the school system, that might help? So, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a huge, that'd be a huge plus for us. We're, we're always on that list, right? As long as we're above Mississippi though, we're all right. So, <laughs> but, uh, but that tax yeah, revenue. Yeah. yeah. You guys are approaching the marijuana laws way better than Mississippi. 
yeah, I would I would agree on that too. But I mean, that's the plan, right? I mean, these, these tax revenues are supposed to to feed the education system, you know, feed infrastructure, feed you know, you know, provide the jobs. Communities that they were just ravaging for the past eighty years. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I think it's a good start to include that piece into the the you know the license. Um, what comes of it, I don't know. I don't know what people are drafting. I know what I'm drafting, um, and I like to touch on you know reinvestment into the community you know making sure that we're open and accepting to everybody i mean it's 2021 you got to be you know very careful as to you know who you deal with how you deal with people um you know just be aware that you know there's a lot more going on than there was in the uh in the 90s that's for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think with 10 years experience you should be all right are you gonna get entrepreneurial yourself you think you're gonna try to uh team up or just have your own license um we've i mean i've we thought about it as a firm um i've thought about it as as just an individual um you know potentially i mean there's a lot of you know there's a lot of space to get into the industry not necessarily touching the plant but um absolutely i mean if i could retire from doing litigation that'd be great you know you you go to litigate in front of court litigation and (laughs) cannabis and so like i got out of litigation two years like i i remember it was 1.8 million dollars i tagged that brady son of a bitch but then, uh, and then I got out of the game in April of 2020, and now it's pulling me back in because one in 22 billion odds. Oh my God, this one dude in Illinois—he uh, won 19 licenses. The limit was 10. He already had two, you know. Uh, and so uh, it's just like seeing a, a due process claim just waiting, and it's like, man, that is going to blow up in two years. And the reason that they did that was because they made these limited licenses and then they're changing the, the law as they go in the uh, process. So it's uh, it's ridiculous. And now I have to. And then once that's over, now you're going to have shareholder disputes out the wazoo because they had to make sure that they had social equity. So all these social equity people that were being used as patsies are like, we won. I talked to a lawyer. Dude, you should have called me months ago. What do you mean you don't have any money? Well, that's probably why they were exploiting you. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And then, and then, you know, since we do family law too, we also have the cannabis issue pop up a bunch with custody oh. uh, stuff, and yeah. it's unique in New Mexico because it's so spread out, it's such a big, you know, geographical state. You know, not a lot of people, but uh, the courtrooms are very. Um, they have very much have an opinion as to the industry in and of itself. You know, we've had people saying, you know, you have a medical card. That's just, you know, a bullshit way to say you're going to smoke weed. Like, no, this is an actual program. She has a debilitating, you know, medical condition. You know, this can't be held against them, you know, as a parent, you know, this is, this is a huge issue. And then there's also issues with children themselves that have to utilize cannabis for like seizures. Um, and they're having issues, you know, administering that at schools and, and finding somebody that feels you know, like, I don't want the liability on me to administer this or where do I administer this? So it's it's weird with the with the litigation, with the child custody stuff, too. And then uh, the, the legalization bar. changed that. And so like a lot of times because that pissed me off in Illinois when I first started practicing years ago, you'd see these feuding uh, spouses being like, well, drug test him. He smokes weed. And so give me the kits. And then I hated that just because they're using cannabis as a weapon in uh, the contested divorce. Uh, are there protections now because it's been legalized in New Mexico for uh, preventing that type of fact pattern? There's yeah, there's an explicit protection in the in the statute itself. It says it can't you know, be the sole factor, you know, in saying that it's going to change custody. But 
unfortunately the uniformity is not there in the court systems either i mean in the north you're going to be litigating a case and they're very accepting of the program and the industry and then you go litigate a case in the south and it's totally different you know you have totally different views so you find yourself a lot of times educating you know the judge at that particular hearing on top of arguing you know custody and, and, and you know timeshare stuff so um it's very interesting but there is an explicit provision in there that says, you know, it's not to, not to be held against you. And, um, you know, hopefully that, you know, really gets into, you know, the court system, the judicial system. Um, we've, as a firm, we've taken the initiative of creating the cannabis law section here in New Mexico to try to, you know, help educate the judiciary and other attorneys and, and you know, making sure that, you know, we participate in a, in a positive light in the industry. Do you, do you walk in with like an education packet that has like the endocannabinoid system, the patent, and then like the, the nine federal patients or 15 at one point? You know what I mean? Like it's it's medicine. That's the problem. They don't understand it as medicine, man. And and then just the fact that you're out there, we appreciate you so much, dude. Thank you. And uh, and yes, we actually have a manufacturer on our on our board um, and uh, he has very great infographics, you know, on terpenes, on the types of cannabis, you know, and how it grows full spectrum, you know, non full spectrum. And uh, we have um, in the New Mexico bar bulletin coming up in November, we're going to have a whole section dedicated to, you know, cannabis law and the cannabis law section. We're going to insert his his infographic in it. And, and he does, you know, really good work. So um we do kind of a little bit cool. nice where can we find uh, legal solutions in new mexico and what you guys got going on um you can find us at our website uh legal solutions of nm.com uh, we post a lot of blogs we have a lot of free information on, on the industries both medical and, and uh you know recreational um phone call or phone call away you know 505-445-4444 it is a lot pretty easy to, to remember the phone number and we picked it specifically because we were thinking i was like i don't remember the last time i had to remember a phone number uh you type it in once and then it comes up as a name and you know after that if you lose your phone and if you can find a pay phone you know who what are you what are you gonna dial so uh our firms hopefully it's easy the 505 we represent new mexico united i don't know if you all you all watch soccer but uh throw them a shout out to uh nice. love supporting them um but yeah, uh, we have, you know, videos posted. We have uh, our upcoming uh, CLE, Continuing Legal Education, coming up here in November. So um, lots of lots of educational opportunities. Awesome. Heck, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us, Carlos. Really appreciate you coming on and explaining all the ins and outs of New Mexico's new cannabis program. Absolutely. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, man.